This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Five conference championships in two days and perhaps not a single SEC team in the college football playoff. Let's talk about it. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kid folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Tonight, we got to talk about the Power Five Conference Championships, kicking off with Pac-12 on Friday and ending with the Big Ten and ACC title games on Saturday night. Just about 12 hours before the college football playoff selection committee needs to reveal its top 25 to us. More importantly, to reveal which four teams are getting in to the final four-team playoff. And let's start with the Big Ten championship game, which number two Michigan opened up as a a double-digit favorite and ends up getting that win against Iowa 26-0. to And I think the zero is much more impressive than the 26 for Michigan. This was not any kind of an offensive performance for Michigan to write home, but it was a vintage Big Ten performance in a Big Ten title game. And, you know, not for nothing, Iowa kept this one closer than the last time that they played Michigan in the Big Ten title game, which was 2021, which was the first Big Ten title that Michigan had won since we started doing this thing of playing conference championships, well, in Indy, right? So now we're looking at a Michigan team that since then has won three consecutive Big Ten titles, which is kind of phenomenal when you take into account the journey that Jim Harbaugh and that program have been on since he was hired and certainly since that disastrous 2020 year. But tonight, this did not feel like the kind of Michigan team that I was hoping we would see where you are the demonstrative number one overall team, regardless of what Georgia or Alabama, Florida State, Washington do in their respective conference championship games. But Also, being up just 10-0 at the half made us believe that Iowa might have a shot to get into this game as it's just two scores. And even for them, that's not that many points. I mean, we're talking about a special team's play or a pick six of some sort really changing the momentum of this game. But you got to see Iowa get the ball back in the third quarter. And then, well, we get the most controversial game we got all night long in that game, at least, where Iowa had a pass that was first ruled incomplete on the field. We go to commercial, we come back, and Joel is having to explain to us what had happened during the commercial break, which is that the officials had overturned the call on the field upon review. Offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz lost his mind on the sideline as well as he should, but he should not have picked up the unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, costing his team an additional 15 yards. And putting Michigan in great position to take a 17-0 to lead, which they did with Blake Corum really trying to get past that Anthony Edwards total of 55 total career touchdowns. He ended up scoring, but you get the point here was more about that play probably took away any momentum that Iowa might have had to get back into this ball game. Now, that said, 
This is an Iowa team that Penn State beat 31 to 0. And we know what Michigan did to that Penn State team. And you were expecting Michigan to drop at least 30, right? 35 more than Penn State and hold the goose egg. I don't think any of us were shocked by the goose egg because Iowa's offense is, quite frankly, offensive. And the reason that Brian Ferentz might have been losing his mind is this was his best opportunity to win a Big Ten title at Iowa and perhaps his last as an offensive coordinator. So this is also a job interview, no matter what he's doing as a position coach or an offensive coordinator elsewhere. But I think that call should not have been overturned. I also think that it wasn't going to change what we all thought was inevitable that Michigan would beat Iowa and that Michigan would move to 13 and oh, what was really going to be interesting is who would Michigan have to play in a college football playoff setting? We got one team that might figure into that. We'll talk about them in a bit, but I want to get from that game where we got to see Michigan win a ho-hum third big 10 title to the SEC title game that was played earlier this afternoon featuring number eight Alabama versus number one Georgia. Now, as much as I had said, I thought Alabama got a shot here because they got this dude Jalen Milrow. It's quite a thing for me to say on Tuesday that Alabama has a shot. It's another for number eight Alabama to upset number one Georgia 27 to 24. Georgia showed up to this game as a five and a half point favorite, having not lost a football game since it lost to Alabama 727 days ago. It's a Georgia football team that was riding a 29-game win streak and had won back-to-back national championships. And this season, the overarching story for this Georgia football team is, could it be the first program in modern history to win three consecutive national championships? Only Minnesota had accomplished it, and that's 34, 35, 36 which predates World War II. So really, Georgia was already in some rarefied air here going back to back. But the way that the season began, it felt to me kind of like the women's national team going to the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, where we thought the Americans would absolutely win their third straight, and then they got unceremoniously bounced in the round of 16. This is, for lack of a better term, Alabama-Georgia, the round of 16 for Georgia, because it felt like After what we saw Washington do, which we'll talk about against Oregon, that the winner of the SEC title game might get in. If it's Georgia, for sure it'll get in. But with Alabama, it becomes a little bit interesting. And it's really about how that game was played out on the field. Now, I had waffled on Michigan and and Georgia, excuse me, as my number one ranked teams because I want to see dominance. And when Georgia needs to come back to beat Auburn, and Georgia is showing me that they're kind of not into beating teams that don't have numbers by their names. They lose Brock Bowers, and then they show up in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party and give it to Florida, and then they give it to Missouri, and then they give it to Ole Miss, and all of a sudden it feels like, okay, this is the kind of Georgia team that I expected to see, number one ranked and dominant. But the things that had plagued them all year showed up against Alabama Earlier this afternoon, Brock Bowers did not look like himself. Lad McConkey did not look like himself. But the, the thing for Georgia isn't one player or even two. It's that they are deep everywhere. So I expected to see them spread the ball around, and they did, right? We got to see Kendall Milton getting into the game as much as Dijon Edwards did. We got to see Carson Beck really spread the ball around. 
But Alabama stayed with them with what I thought was not the best offensive display. Certainly, you started without Jace McClellan in the backfield, which means you got Roy Dell Williams and Jam Miller doing a lot of the carrying for you. But they got that dude wearing number four on his chest and that dude wearing number 17 on his chest. And that was what it was about. The Gravedigger play where Jalen Milrow, fourth and 31, found Isaiah Bond in the back of the end zone to come back to defeat Auburn just last week. You got to see what that chemistry is like in this game as when it was time to go get a TD, you got to go get it in winning time. There were a couple of plays that both Jalen Milrow and Isaiah Bond made to really make me believe that Alabama is one of the best teams in college football. So first we get to see Kirby Smart at the end of the half calls timeout. He wants to force Nick Saban to make a decision, right? It's love to see those guys going at it. And then they come out. They get to the line of scrimmage, and Nick Saban calls a timeout and basically called Kirby's bluff and put the ball in Jalen Milrow's hands. And Milrow threw an out route of out routes to Isaiah Bond to put them in position to get another score. That was the first play. The second play is really we're expecting Alabama to be in a good spot in the fourth quarter to put this game away. They are up 20 to 10. Georgia had just fumbled the football on a reverse, and Alabama had just done something with it. But then you get to see UGA's defense show up and they get to force a a punt out of Alabama and you get Anthony Evans, a 31 yard return to put them in good position. And they cut the uh, the lead to 20 to 17. Now we're in winning time because it feels like Alabama's got to go get six. Three might not do it against that Georgia team that was able to move the ball on Alabama. And you could see it all the time. You could see how Jalen Milrow was getting Kirby smart, Glenn Schumann's attention. They are spying him with two dudes in the middle. And I've never seen that before. I've never seen you double cover a QB draw, but that is the kind of respect that Kirby Smart and that defense had for Jalen Milrow. And it also was them trying to cover up a deficiency. And we rarely see deficiencies for a Georgia defense. And that deficiency is they're not really great against mobile quarterbacks. And Jalen Milrow was the best mobile quarterback they had seen all year. That's really one thing. But when Milrow is back there bouncing around, having time to throw the ball as he holds the ball much longer than I would like him to, he usually goes to find the guy that's open. And the guy that's usually open is that guy, Isaiah Bond. So they get together on what becomes a pivotal drive, finding each other four times to put Alabama ahead 27 to 17. Georgia gets back in there, but it really comes down to a missed field goal that happened in the first half. And yet, and still, The game is in Milrow's hands. They got to go get first downs. They got to get two of them to basically ice the game. And what does Tommy Reese and Nick Saban do? They said, hey, Jalen, go win us the football game. So they got him on a design run. And then they got him on a design run. And all of a sudden, you're getting to see four holding up the SEC championship trophy as Jalen Milrow led an Alabama team that stopped Georgia. Let me give you these stats right quick. This is Jalen Milrow's last four SEC opponents. Combination of LSU, Kentucky, Auburn, and Georgia. He averaged 226 pass yards. He averaged 82 rush yards. He put up 14 TDs, and he had just one turnover in that four-game stretch. With respect to what Jaden Daniels has done this year, and it is quite phenomenal what he has done. With respect to what Michael Penix has done, particularly against Oregon, what Bo Nix has been all year, the best player in college football is the guy that can lead his team to stop 
the best team in college football. That's Jalen Milrow. That's the Heisman Trophy winner. You don't need to complicate this. Best player on the best team usually wins this thing. And in winning time, that's what you want. That is how you prove to yourself to be most valuable. Now, Alabama winning the SEC championship should and normally does get you into the college football playoff. Hell, there have been years in which you can lose the SEC championship and still get into the college football playoff. But this year is quite different. So while I acknowledge, like the rest of you, Alabama has a claim to playing in the college football playoff, and no matter what Kirby Smart wants to tell you, Georgia does not, this could be a year that we don't see an SEC team in the college football playoff for good damn reason. And one of the good damn reasons is the Florida State team that just gets under our skin, or, or particularly my skin, right? It's not Florida State, it's the schedule they play. But number four, Florida State knocks off number 14, Louisville, 16 to 6. ACC cosplaying as the Big Ten is what this felt like, but you kind of get it. Louisville, I don't think is that good. They showed that in their loss to Pitt. They showed that in their loss to Kentucky. They happen to beat Notre Dame and be the best of the rest in what has been a weak ACC. I mean, non-alcoholic beer kind of weak, okay? Then you got Florida State, who doesn't have Jordan Travis and who doesn't have the backup in Tate Rodemaker, who's out there with Brock Glenn, who's a dude that you never heard of till he had to play tonight against Louisville, and that was enough to beat Louisville to win the ACC championship because Florida State's defense is actually really fun. They're good. They're good. They're not great. They're good. And they've gotten some outstanding run play in the backfield. And you know what Keon Coleman and Jaheim Bell have meant to them to say nothing of what Johnny Wilson was doing at the beginning of the year. But Louisville also squandered a golden opportunity to go up after blocking a punt inside Florida State's territory. But Jack Plummer showed me why he ran off from Aiden O'Connell to go to Cal on to be reunited with Jeff Brown at Louisville when he threw a pick in the end zone. It was there for you, Cardinals. And you know what? We were all rooting for you. And by all, I mean all of us not Florida State fans because, well, this is going to be a Florida State team that should get into the college football playoff because they are 13-0 and with a Power 5 Conference Championship. Talk about why that is and what that means in a bit. But I want to get to the Pac-12 and the Big 12 championships before we get into that discussion. Okay? Now, in the Pac-12 championship played on a Friday night for Lord knows what reasons, number three Washington and number five Oregon gave us a thriller as Washington upset, yes, upset Oregon 34-31. to Why is it an upset? Because Washington was a nine-and-a-half-point underdog going into this game. And for good reason, the team that looked like the best team of those two since week seven when Washington beat Oregon – was Oregon. Specifically, in their rivalry game against Oregon State, they played lights out. Bo Nix has been so scarily efficient. Got two tailbacks back there in Bucky Irvin and Jordan James that could do the damn thing. Tez Johnson and Troy Franklin doing yeoman's work on the outside to say nothing of what Treshawn Holden was able to do to keep them in this game late as it was being played in Vegas. But that Washington offense is the one that I had been dying to see since week seven. They got Jalen McMillan back in the lineup, and that seemed to awaken the beast that is that offense that can put up 30 in a hurry. 
Max Michael Penix Jr. had 319 pass yards in this game. Dylan Johnson, who had never rushed for 100 yards in a single game, had his first 100-yard rushing game against Oregon in Week 7, put up 250 against USC, and then 152 against Oregon in the last Pac-12 championship game. The best wide receiver room in the country is in Seattle. Jalen Milrow, Romo Dunzi, those dudes are absolutely different. Both of those guys had 100-yard receiving performances. You got to see Kalen DeBoer and Brian Grubb get in their bag, having fun. Also, putting the ball in Michael Penix Jr. and Romo Dunzi's hands on gotta have it down. I love it when coaches say, hey, you're the man. Go be the man. Go do what we are asking you to do as a leader and a captain here. This also means that Washington going 13-0 and becomes the first Pac-12 team in history to get to 13 and 0 before bowl season with an outstanding schedule. I mean, this that that strength of schedule is ridiculous. And Washington has a claim to being the number one team in the country after what we saw from Michigan and what they did on Friday night against Oregon, a team that we all thought would beat Washington going into this one. Also shouts to Kalen DeBoer who shows up to Washington. They go four and eight since then all they've done is go 23 and two, and we need to start talking about Kalen DeBoer as a winner and coaching, excuse me, and winning is a coach's stat in the way that winning is not necessarily a QB stat coaching. Yeah, that's, that's the resume. And his resume looks like this 23 and two. I just said, right. 13 and zero this year, but 103 and 11 as a head coach. As at the NAI level, he had a 67-3 record before he took the next leap in his coaching career for stopping at Indiana, going to Fresno State before getting over there to Washington. But the resume also got better on Saturday afternoon for Washington as they were just waiting on the other three teams that probably get selected tomorrow because Boise State shocked UNLV to win the Mountain West Conference Championship. That means that Washington has also beaten Another conference champion, 56 to 19 earlier this year. And this is all with Oregon playing great football. Bo Nix, 21 to 34 for 239, three TDs and a pick. I mean, I got a hard time looking at this Washington team and not believing that that team can win a national championship. Before Friday, I didn't see it. I thought they were going to be in the four spot, the dunker spot. No, sir. That's one of the two best teams at a minimum in college football. Kudos to the Huskies for showing up and giving it to the Ducks and perhaps saying, this is what it's going to be like for you when we get to Big Ten play next year. Don't get it twisted. The rivalry is real. And there are Washington fans that are going to give Oregon fans the business forever and ever as they get to remind Oregon fans, you won zero national championships. We've won one and we might, or we're two games away from winning number two. And oh yeah, There's not an SEC team in our way, or maybe there will be. We'll talk about that here in just a second. Outstanding win for Washington. I thought that was the most pivotal game that we were going to watch because we all thought that one of those two teams in Pac-12 is going to get into the college football playoff no matter what happened on Saturday. But I wonder how we would look at the college football playoff if Oregon had won, knowing what Texas was going to do on Saturday morning. Number seven, Texas, blow it out. Number 18, Oklahoma State, 49 to 21. 
Texas needed to win big. I said you need to dunk Oklahoma State on its head, and they did just that. Outstanding performance for the Longhorns. Quinn Ewers went for 454 pass yards, 354 in the first half alone, four TDs, one pick. Texas put up 662 yards of offense, including 198 on the ground, with their All-American caliber tailback on the sideline. Oh, by the way, classy move by Steve Sarkeesian at the end of this to get Jonathan, Jonathan Brooks out of street clothes, into pads, and on the field for that victory tour formation, even with the torn ACL. That's what the sport is about for me. I really love seeing that. But on the field, the Texas defense also showed me that is a national championship caliber defense because they had, looking across from them, the FBS rushing champion in Ollie Gordon, who came into this game with 1,580 yards on the ground, giving the business to everybody that he got more than 10 touches to. And Texas said, Judge Smells told us to tell you you'll get nothing and like it. They held Ollie Gordon to 34 yards on 13 carries, making it almost impossible for Oklahoma State to be anything other than one-dimensional. And while Brendan Presley and Rashad Owens did what they could, Texas had an answer for everything that Oklahoma State wanted to throw at them offensively. And in doing so, Texas wins its first conference championship in the sport since 2009 in its last opportunity to win a Big 12 championship. Outstanding performance by the Longhorns, who are very much deserving of the college football playoff. And Steve Sarkeesian has become one of the most consequential head coaches in Texas history. Certainly the most consequential since Mac Brown what last brought Texas to the national championship in 2005. And I think Texas should be in a position to win its first national championship since 2005 based on what we've seen Friday and Saturday in conference championship games. Okay, let's get to the part where we talk about the college football playoff. What I'm going to do first is tell you which teams I think I would like to see as a fan, period. If I got to pick this out, we're going to put my top 25 aside for a second. We're going to put the college football playoffs top 25 for a second. We're going to take what have we seen on a football field. What I would love to see is a 1-4 matchup between Michigan and Washington and a 2-3 matchup between Texas and Alabama. Because Texas and Alabama have a head-to-head that absolutely is going to be talked about for the next 12 hours and whether or not it matters. And spoiler, it does. And Michigan versus Washington feels like a Styles makes fight that I want to see. An outstanding offense versus an outstanding defense. A so-so offense versus a so-so defense. Let's see Michael Penix Jr. playing a pitcher's duel against J.J. McCarthy. Let's see Blake Corm against that defense. Let's see... Michael Penix Jr. and Dylan Johnson, Romo Dunsey, and Jalen McMillan versus Will Johnson, uh, Mike Shane Steele, and that defense. I want to see Ryan Grubb versus Jesse Minter. On the flip side, I would like nothing more than to see round three of Texas-Alabama, okay? Because the first round between Steve Sarkeesian and Nick Saban was great. That was in Texas last year. Really came down to the wire. If Quinn Ewers is healthy, we're talking about Texas probably having beaten Alabama last year. They needed to wait. They need to go to Tuscaloosa and they handed tech, uh, excuse me, Alabama, their only L in Tuscaloosa by double digits. Okay. So it's one and one. I would love to be guaranteed Texas versus Alabama round three, 
because I'm a fan and I think that's the best product. I think we all would benefit from seeing, well, two SEC teams as SEC fans are going to see it, but a Big 12 champ versus an SEC champ play for a chance to play in the national championship game. And Washington and Michigan would allow that one of those two teams would also be one we want to see play in the college football playoff national championship game. Should that be the top four? Absolutely not. What I want, what we want as fans should not matter. And when we're talking about who gets into the college football playoff, because, well, we got criteria to do this. And one of those criteria is called a scoreboard. Maybe you've heard of it if you are a college football playoff selection committee member, or if you're Kirby Smart, you've never heard of it unless you win. And then, of course, it doesn't matter. And then we're talking about what did you do 10 weeks ago? Well, damn, dog. I mean, I would love to be judged by my best performances and only my best performances. But we play an entire season, just like I do an entire season. I make mistakes. They make mistakes. You have to answer for your mistakes, and you have to stand on them. Okay? You win all your football games. You were perfect. You win all your football games in a Power 5 league. You were perfect, and then some. So let's talk about what the college football playoff selection committee would do and what I would do because I think that they're going to line up here. So let's start with the protocol or the criteria that the college football playoff selection committee is supposed to be looking at. When circumstances at the margins indicate that teams are comparable, then the following criteria must be included. This is on the website. You can go check this. Number one is championships won. Okay, we're only considering power five champions. Number two is strength of schedule. Check for Washington, Michigan. Yeah, okay, sure. Same thing with a Texas or an Alabama or even a Georgia if you want to take it that far. Head-to-head. This is the one because we don't get that many opportunities to look at head-to-heads when we're talking about teams playing the college football playoff. But this year, we have it. We have the data point, and it's meaningful. Texas went to Tuscaloosa. They beat Alabama by 10 points, and they won their conference championship. So all things are equal. Power five champ, power five champ, one loss, one loss. We beat you straight up. We deserve the spot. You can't have Texas out of this college football playoff. You can't have Texas and Alabama, but I don't think that you will do that because, well, Florida State's pesky, dog. Florida State is undefeated. Florida State doesn't look like a good football team. Put it another way. There are three teams, four teams, five teams that we think could win a national championship, right? I'm just going to throw Ohio State in the mix here just because. But let's say Georgia, sure. Washington, yeah. Michigan, absolutely. Texas, uh uh-huh. Alabama, oh, yeah. Ohio State, let's see. But you know who we're not going to pick to win a national championship? The team that needed to try out the true freshman as the third-string quarterback against Louisville and damn near got beat if Jack Plummer doesn't throw them a pick, pick. which sucks if you're the Florida State defense because you ain't do nothing wrong, but baby – You win as a team, you lose as a team. You don't win as a unit and lose as a unit because if you did, Iowa would be undefeated and they'd be the Big Ten champs, okay? All right, that's what we're doing with this. So I think the way that this is going to go, and this is reflected in my top 25 over at foxsports.com, which you'll be able to check out shortly to find out where I put other teams on the top 25, but I think it's going to go like this. I think it's going to be Michigan at number one, Washington at number two, Florida State at number three, and Texas at number four, Alabama, sorry about you. You're number five, Georgia six. And then you could talk about Ohio state, Ohio state at seven or even Oregon, if you're feeling, but once we get past five, who cares? Because we're talking about winning championships here. We can talk about new year, six bowls and outback bowls and all those things later. But right now, I think those are the four because if you don't select Texas, we call into question your credibility. 
and we call what you stand for. It's not hard. A Big 12 champion, Texas, who beat in Alabama, who is an SEC champion, gets in ahead of them if the spots are full. You don't cheat the game. Don't cheat the kiddos. Check the scoreboard. As much as I know that there are people that love the sport that want to tell us what we should be doing with the sport, the kids get to do that. We all would get to tell one 13-0 team, you're not playing the college football playoff because Liberty's going to feel some kind of way about it. But you know what Liberty doesn't want to do? Show up to the college football playoff and get beat down any more than Florida State does. And that's why we talk about the best four teams, because you don't want to put a team in a position to get beat down, right? If you don't think they're good, you don't think they're good. And sometimes you got to be hard-headed, right? You don't get to win 13 games in a row or even go 12 out of 13 without being hard-headed and without having tremendous belief in oneself. But that's why we, as the people rooting for ourselves, don't get to make those decisions about ourselves. Your performance review, not really up to you, okay? This is their performance review. How did you do this season? You can't pick and choose the games in which you thought you were better or worse than. If Texas and Alabama played today, who would win? I can't tell you. It'd be a toss-up. But I know who won on on week two in Tuscaloosa. And if we're not going to look at the games and say they matter, nobody is going to take us seriously when we want to tell everybody that college football is the thing we love, we live, we breathe. We got to first be honest with each other. And honesty is, hey, sorry, Alabama. This ain't your year. Sorry, Georgia. This ain't your year. And while we have had an SEC champion or two, frankly, uh, the team that won the division, into the college football playoff every single year, this is the year that we should not have a single SEC team in because other teams met the criteria. It ain't about deserving. You deserve the world. You deserve glory and all its riches. You deserve happiness. It ain't about deserve. What did you do on a football field? Who did you beat? How did you beat them? Did you win? Okay. It's not out of your hands then. It's not in your hands. Did you win? Okay. Who did you beat? Cool. What's strength schedule? Are you a power five champion? Did you win your head to head? These are the things that matter the most. I think that the committee will do right by all of us, but knowing that Boo Corrigan is the only person that has to carry water in that room, I would not be surprised to find out that the room is just full of a bunch of message board posters who don't need to answer for the things that they say or the opinions that they hold. Like, say, me, whose name is on the show, okay? That's where I'm coming down with this. I got to be honest with you. You got to be honest with me. I can hope that the committee will be honest with us all and hold up the sport in this its last season of a 14 playoff. It's good Lord. Don't we need a 12-team playoff coming on winged feet any moment now? Okay, we're going to be back live. Tomorrow, about 12 hours from now, as soon as Boo Corrigan gets done talking about what the college football playoff selection committee chose to do, be live right here on the YouTubes, on the Twitters, to talk about that top 25, what the New Year's Six Bowls are going to look like, and really get into the nitty-gritty of who should have gotten in and what those scenarios look like. All right. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana put the special... In our special teams, Niles Owens on the live switches. Dustin Butler is sending in the signal. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline, and the play snapped on my clap. We're back live Sunday morning, just before church, following the college football playoff rankings reveal. Until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Doses.